It is 10.02 a.m. on this Saturday morning, October 13th, 2012, and you're listening to UNC Radio on uncradio.com and Channel 3 on your dorm room television sets. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. It's time for my show, Dave's Gone By, which airs Saturdays, 10 until 1 in the afternoon on UNC Radio, and the program begins right now. the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody. Welcome on this Saturday morning, October 13th, 2012, to the 397th episode of Dave's Gone By. Three hours of humor, music, interviews, culture, and more. We do it every week on Saturday mornings on this radio station, UNC Radio, on uncradio.com, and also if you happen to be living at this University of Northern Colorado and you have your television sets in your dorm rooms, you can put it on Channel 3 and hear this station live streaming 24-7 and this program live Saturdays from 10 until 1 Mountain Time. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. have been hosting this show now for a full 10 years, originally in New York, and now, uh, for the past three years, doing it here in Greeley, Colorado, and loving every moment of it. And I hope that you will love every moment of this particular episode of the show. It's jam-packed, and I mean that. We've actually taken the board here and packed it with jam. It's really sticky and annoying, but we're going to do the show anyway. We have for you... I don't know why I'm saying such bad jokes this morning. I'm in a weird mood. I don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm well-rested. I'm... 
pretty happy about that. I mean, I've got more dental work coming up this week. That won't be fun. But other than that, I'm in good shape. So I'm excited to be doing this program for you. Not sure why I'm in a weirdness mode. We'll figure it out. But what we will hear on this episode of the show includes da, 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 a couple of Saturday segues where we play music all on a certain theme. We're going to be wishing, wishing Paul Simon a happy... Wow! Not only... <laughs> Not only can't I think this morning, I can't move my lips properly. We're going to be wishing Paul Simon a happy 71st birthday by playing his music, both with Mr. Garfunkel and Solo, including a song from his brand new album, really, just came out a couple of months ago. So yeah, stick around for some Paul Simon. Also stick around for a Saturday segue about peace, only particular reason that we chose that theme is our big interview of the program is going to be between Rabbi Saul Solomon. Now, you all know him. He has been a friend and guest on this program since our very, very first show back in October of 2002. Rabbi Saul has done lots of stuff on this show. He's, he's told us about the Jewish holidays. He's interviewed people. He's, he now gives his weekly rabbinical reflections, except instead of doing that, this week, Rabbi Saul has an interview <clears throat> with another rabbi, Rabbi Samuel Intrator. Now, now Rabbi Intrator is... Um, God, how do you even describe his particular life? He came kind of out of a freewheeling, more 1960s-ish ethos of religion and living in the world. So, well, all right, let me put it this way. There is a synagogue in New York called the Karlbach Shul, and it's named for the guy who founded that kind of, that synagogue and that movement, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. If you know that name at all, uh, and you're not Jewish, it may be because he was a folk singer also in the 1960s. He, along with people like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Dylan, and uh, folks like that, Richie Havens, would appear in these clubs in New York, like the Village Gate. And Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach had a lovely voice, and he had a folky way by taking these little passages from the Bible or Hebrew prayers and putting them to folk tunes that he would make up, and it was a cool, different way of doing the liturgical music, and people really gravitated to that, and young Jews especially, who were kind of bored by all the stuff they were hearing in their typical synagogues, and you know, the, the, the same old stuff their great-grandparents were singing in the same way, here was a guy who was religious, who was singing this music, and who made it fun and lively, and there was, was dancing, and it was spiritual, and it was this whole movement that was, that was influenced by and connected to what was going on with young people in the 1960s and the hippie movement, and free love as well. We'll, we'll get to that. But anyway, Rabbi Karlbach, beloved by a great you know, swath of jewelry for his music and for what he seemed to stand for, and so he founded this synagogue in Manhattan, and rang it for a, for a few years, died. But before then, he kind of groomed a successor, and that successor is Rabbi Samuel Intrater, who ran the Karlbach Synagogue for 10 years after Karlbach died. And then Intrater went on to do some other things. And now he's involved in kind of a fringy peace movement. It's called Real Peace Middle East, and it's, I guess, it's sort of a think tank activist group that wants to get the peace process back on track 
between Israel and the Arabs, between Israel and the Palestinians, and he has ideas, this group has ideas for how to do that. You know, where everyone else has failed, somehow real peace Middle East think that they have the solution, but it's not what you think. And, and you know, if you are a proud Jew and also a Zionist, like I am, or you believe in the Zionist cause, maybe because, you know, Israel is important, or you're a born-again Christian, and you, know, you need Israel to be there for end times, whatever the hell is going on with all of that. Give a listen to Rabbi Samuel Intrader, especially when he's talking to our beloved Rabbi Saul Solomon, because Saul doesn't let people off easily. You know, Ra- Rabbi Saul don't take no mess as they say. He makes a few messes, but he don't take no mess. So it should be a very freewheeling and no holds barred, no punches pulled conversation between two rabbis coming up on Dave's Gone By, not to be missed. But there's more. I told you, there's Paul Simon songs, there's peace songs, there's the two rabbis. We've also got Bob Dylan sooner and later, where we play Bob Dylan songs, a few of them, every week here, because, well... He's Bob Dylan, and the theme of this week's Bob Dylan segment will be Canadian set list because he's been playing in Canada, excuse me, uh, on his tour uh, this past week, and so they've been listing his set list of the songs that he's playing. People have been a little surprised that even though he has a brand new album out that came out on September 11th, the Tempest record, uh, he hasn't really been playing any songs from it, like one or two in all these tour things that he's doing, which is weird because it's a pretty popular album and it sold pretty well on the Billboard charts. So you figure he'd be pushing it, but he's Bob Dylan. He doesn't have to. He, he sings what he wants to sing. So we'll be playing some of the songs that he's been dipping through his catalog to play in his Canadian set list on this edition of Bob Dylan sooner and later on Dave's Gone By. And also, if that weren't enough... Yeah, because it's already sounding like a great show, isn't it? Well, I think so. We will go inside Broadway for theater news, both in New York and here in northern Colorado. And we're going to bring back, at least for one week, the news gone by. See, last week was our 10th anniversary show. We, As I said, we've had 396 previous episodes of this program, stretching all the way back to our first one in October of 2002, back on a small station on Long Island. And even way back then, when the show was only an hour long on a Sunday night, I knew I wanted, to be, I, I wanted the program to be eclectic. I wanted there to be some music, a lot of talk, comedy bits, funny things, serious interviews, um, all sorts of stuff. That was the idea behind it. Theater reviews and, and you know, serious issues covered. All crammed together in this cool kind of a show. Well, one of the bits that we did way back when was based on Weekend Update of Saturday Night Live and lots of comedy shows that took the news format and then made fun of current events and the news. And I did that for a couple of years, but it was a lot of work, you know, because unlike the extemporaneous form of most of the show where I'm just talking and saying what's in my head or working from some notes, this was scripted out. This was actually written out, and a lot of it was fun but it was also drudge work getting it done, and also I'm not, I'm not a joke writer per se. I can write funny, I can write funny characters, and I can and I can express myself amusingly. But doing like news item da 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 boom one liner joke that is not my forte. And yet I try doing it, 
every once in a while, and I did that a bit in the news gone by, and then listening back last week as I was preparing for the 10th anniversary show of Dave's Gone By, I started listening to these old broadcasts, and one of the things that I did a lot in those first couple of years was the News Gone By segment, and I was like, well, this is cool. I like this. I like, you know, I I enjoy listening to a lot of my writing, not all of it, (laughs) certainly not all of it, but, you know, and, and I... I missed it in a way. I was kind of sorry that I stopped doing it, that I wasn't out there taking events in the news and boiling them down and making fun of them and giving my opinion and that sort of thing in a, in a codified way, in a more cogent way than me just rambling as I do here. And so I thought, hey, let's bring it back at least for a week. Let's try it out. Let's have another news gone by segment just like in the old days. And so we're going to do that today on Dave's Gone By, here on UNC Radio. So there you've got the show in a nutshell. As I said, music, culture, comedy, interviews, it's all here, and I hope you'll stick with me until 1 o'clock this afternoon, Mountain Time, for the whole program. But let's begin with music and an anniversary, well, a birthday celebration, if you will, for... A man born 71 years ago today, back in 1941, Paul Simon, born in Newark, New Jersey, lover of music and baseball, an inductee in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 2001, all sorts of other Lifetime Achievement Awards and honorary doctorates because, well, he's Paul Simon. And, of course, in in the intervening years, he worked with his friend, a friend that he met when he was 11 years old, in school. He met Art Garfunkel. They formed, of course, Simon and Garfunkel, but before they became that, it was 1957. They were singing together down by the schoolyards, as it were, and trying to get a record deal, trying to get something going, trying to write songs, and also dealing with the rock and roll idiom of its time. So instead of calling themselves Simon and Garfunkel, they were just old Tom and Jerry. And they had a song way back when. That was a minor hit, kind of a a radio hit in local circles. And by the wonders of the internet, we do still have it. It's still available. Tom and Jerry singing a song called... Oh, oh, no, 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 wait, where did it go? You know, I had it on on my iTunes. Forgive me for this. I'm not sure where it went. Now I gotta bring it up on YouTube. So just give me a moment, or better yet, I'll play Hey School Girl after something else by Simon and Garfunkel to kick off this Simon, Paul Simon, Saturday segue. Happy birthday, Mr. S, and many, many more. There is, um, amongst the 23 or 24 songs that Paul has written, there's one that we have never recorded. It's about the only one, and a group called The Circle. Uh, beat us to it, recorded it, and sold 890,000 copies of it. (laughs) Called Red Rubber Ball. I should have known you'd bid me farewell. There's a lesson to be learned from this, and I learned it very well. Now I know you're not the only starfish in the sea If I never hear your name again It 
I confide to you I'm just an ornament something for your pride always running never caring that's the life you live stolen minutes of your time were all you had to give and I think it's gonna be alright yeah the worst is over now the morning sun is shining like a red rubber ball I've got my life to live And I don't need you at all We're on the coast of life Just to be nearly at an end I bought my tickets with my tears That's all I'm gonna spend And I think it's gonna be alright Yeah, the worst is over now The morning sun is shining Like every rubber ball Whoa, I think it's gonna be alright Yeah, the worst is over now
Say 
settle down From a wound that I have no intention
There's a girl in New York City who calls herself the human trampoline. Sometimes when I'm falling, flying, tumbling in turmoil, I say, whoa, so this is what she means. She means we're bouncing into Graceland. And I see losing love is like a window in your heart. Everybody feels the wind blow Cloudy, cloudy. 
I've been working on my rewrite, that's right. I'm gonna change the ending. Gonna throw away my title and toss it in the trash. Every minute after midnight, all the time I'm spending is just for working on my rewrite, that's right. And I'm gonna turn it into cash. I've been working at the car wash. I consider it my day job. Cause it's really not a paid job. That's where I am Everybody says the old guy Working at the car wash Hasn't got a brain cell Left since Vietnam But I say help me, help me, help me, help me Thank you I had no idea That you were there When I said help me, help me
A song I really only discovered rather late, you know, just just a couple of months ago. I mean, I always knew it existed and was played on the radio and was one of the later Simon and Garfunkel songs. But um, it was only recently that I really began appreciating the feeling and the sound of that song and the harmonies and the way that that soars into the chorus of The Only Living Boy in New York written by one of the great boys from, actually, Newark, New Jersey. I shouldn't say New York, but he's so New York-identified, I guess, because of the concerts in Central Park and the the feelings that Paul Simon brought to everyone who has listened to his music. And so happy birthday, Paul Simon, 71 years old today, uh, deserves every honor that he's ever gotten. And so we play... A bunch of songs by Simon and Simon and Garfunkel in honor of that birthday in our first Saturday segue of Dave's Gone By. We began with their live version, I think it was from the Central Park concert, of Red Rubber Ball, which was a song that never made it onto any of the Simon and Garfunkel albums early on. I think another band covered it, and and maybe The Circle, C-Y-R-K-L-E, I might be wrong about that. But um, someone else had a hit with that tune. We also heard Paul Simon with the song You're So Kind, which is from, or was from, his Still Crazy After All These Years record. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not as familiar, I guess, as I should be with Paul Simon's solo work. Seems strange, since he's been around longer than I've been around, and that I'm into that kind of music. But I know, obviously, the hits that they play on the radio, and a lot of his music, but haven't really gone so deep into his album cuts as perhaps I should have. So again, your kind, from uh, Still Crazy After All These Years. And then, yes, as promised, Simon and Garfunkel, before they called themselves that, when they were just Tom and Jerry, with Hey Schoolgirl, very Everly Brothers 
um, oriented, <laughs> let's put that in a nice way, tune. And then Simon and Garfunkel doing Blessed, uh, kind of a lesser known track that I really have always liked. And then maybe the greatest song of Simon's solo career? I wonder, Graceland. Yeah, again, there, there's an album that I always thought was a bit overrated when it came out. And it wasn't that he was a dilettante dipping into the African themes and music and stuff. But it just, you know, I thought some of the songs were really cool and some not so interesting and, and just everybody raved, oh, Graceland, Graceland. But let me tell you, that song, Graceland, that title track, brilliant. Just <laughs> one of the greatest, um, maybe one of the greatest songs ever written by Paul Simon. And then going back to Simon and Garfunkel, one of the prettiest harmony songs that they ever did called Cloudy. And then from Paul Simon's brand new record, So Beautiful or So What, Rewrite, really like that track. And kind of, is it me or did that fade out, the last 30 seconds, kind of harken back to the Beatles doing Two of Us with that whistle at the end of it? You know, the Beatles doing... And then, and then Simon, who's kind of talking about um, harmonizing in a way, even though he doesn't have his longtime singing partner on the song, singing rewrite and, and whistling his way out of it. And then The Only Living Boy in New York from Simon and Garfunkel. And what else did I want to mention about... Well, you know, there was a story about Art Garfunkel in Rolling Stone about a month ago. They had, they had stories about Paul Simon, of course, and his new album, and his writing process, and what a perfectionist he is, and you know, what he, how he goes in there and really immerses himself in whatever it is he wants to do musically. And then the story about um, his, his partner, Garfunkel, not quite so happy. Garfunkel was dining in a restaurant and had himself a bit of lobster. <laughs> I, I know, I know, weird as this may sound. And something happened, he either got some shell, or he choked on it the wrong way, and it paralyzed one of his vocal cords. Now, if you're talking about someone like Art Garfunkel, paralyzing the vocal, oh my God! You know, so he's been going through all sorts of therapy and rest and fluids and, and trying to work the vocal cord again to get it back into shape. So we certainly wish him um, a full, absolute full and happy recovery because we wouldn't want to lose that voice, either for Garfunkel's own solo work or, of course, Whenever he and Paul Simon get in their blood to go back and uh, you know sing their songs again, I'm wondering are there any major anniversaries coming up? If if um, their Tom and Jerry song was going back to '57, '60, '70, '80, '90, '07, so it's already been 50 years since that. What a thought! What? No, '60, '70, '80, '90. Uh, yeah, how weird. And, well, they were young, you know, they were teenagers, and Simon just turned 71 today, so there'll be a point when it'll be the 50th anniversary of The Sound of Silence, or their concert in Central Park, or whatever it is, so maybe, maybe another benefit, another uh, memorial thing will get them back together, that'd be kind of nice. Anywho, I'm happy to be together with you here on this Saturday morning on Dave's Gone By. We're here till 1 o'clock. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. And now we move to another part of the show. It's called Inside Broadway, where we get cultural and talk about theater in New York City and also here on, well, in northern Colorado, just giving you the news and maybe some reviews of the stuff that's happening on our stages. A couple of shows announced out of the blue 
that are going to be on Broadway in the spring if their producers have any say in the matter. One of them is Breakfast at Tiffany's. They've come up with a non-musical, it's a straight play version of the famous Truman Capote story of the famous, if bodlerized, movie featuring Kay Hepburn and um, was it George Pappard, who was, was her roommate. Anyway, it's a comedy drama with a great pedigree, Richard Greenberg, who won the Tony for Take Me Out, wonderful play about baseball. Richard Greenberg writing Breakfast at Tiffany's, adapting the novel, Sean Mathias directing it, and they found their Holly Golightly. It's going to be played by Amelia Clark. Um, Had not known of her, but apparently she's real big on this HBO series called Game of Thrones, and she stars in that. So anyway, it's all about this elusive good-time girl who's going out with all these men promising them certain things, giving them certain things. So even though she doesn't really have a penny, she gets to live the high life, giving a bit of herself away each time. And then the worry, of course, is how long can she do it? And what happens when she gets older? Anyway, that's based on the little novella by Truman Capote, and they want to bring it to Broadway, a Schubert Theater, in February. We shall see. Also, another show that that nobody knew was coming down the pike, just suddenly, boom, they announced it, The Velocity of Autumn. It's a dark comedy by Eric Koble, directed by Molly Smith of Arena Stage out in, um, I forget whether that's D.C. or Seattle. It's one of the Washingtons. But anywho... It um, will star Steven Spinella, who won Tony's for Angels in America, and also Estelle Parsons. She's having a wonderful third-life career. And it's all about an old woman who refuses to, be, to go into a nursing home. Her family, I guess, is pressuring her and her landlord and all that. And then um, <laughs> she starts setting up all these Molotov cocktails and bombs around her apartment, refusing to go, kind of making her last stand, even when she's visited by the son, whom she hasn't seen in 20 years. Sounds pretty contrived to me, but they did the show at Idaho's Boise Contemporary Theater in April of 2011, so it's had an airing somewhere. We'll see. They're trying to bring it to Broadway in the spring with Parsons and Spinella. Uh, Oh, I remember that Estelle Parsons won an Oscar for Bonnie and Clyde. Wow. Anywho, um, another Broadway show that will be opening today, October 13th, is another revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. It's the Edward Albee classic. Uh, his, even if most of his other stuff is crap, and a lot of it is, he, he always will have given us Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. This is the production that was done in Chicago by the Steppenwolf Company with a lot of their members, and Chicago's been having a lot of luck on Broadway in recent times with August Osage County, and then they brought in another play by, well, that flopped, um, Superior Donuts flopped a season or two ago. But still, they're they're bringing all these, these Chicago shows and with part of their Chicago casts. And so... We have Tracy Letts, who's not only a playwright but also an actor, starring as George in this revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, alongside Amy Morton, another Steppenwolf regular, as Martha. Also, Carrie Coon and Madison Dirks make up the four-member cast of this epic, minimalist epic tale of a long-married 
academic couple in a small New England town that's having drinks and dinner with another younger academic couple in the town, and marriages get picked apart like chicken bones in this classic play. It's opening on Broadway at the Booth Theater tonight in New York. And speaking of shows that are opening or just have opened, solid reviews greeted Douglas Hodge and his turn as Cyrano de Bergerac. The Roundabout Theatre Company just did their revival, just opened their revival this week of the Edmond Rostand play with um, Douglas Hodge. Now, he won a Tony Award back in 2010 for his acclaimed turn in La Cage Folle. And it also stars this Cyrano de Bergerac, features Clemence Poency, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that remotely correctly, maybe Clemence Poency as Roxanne. She's supposedly really, really gorgeous, which is always nice to have for a Roxanne. And it, it's gotten really nice reviews. It says it's, it's interesting to see a Cyrano who isn't handsome and poetic and, and very sort of romantique in the big way that we've come to see a lot of the Cyranos, like Kevin Klein recently or, or Ferrer, you know, where, where they have this sort of poetry of the soul that's also reflected in who they are. And if they had a perfectly normal nose, they would be really handsome guys getting a lot of chicks and would not have to sort of use a surrogate to get their poetry and their love letters across. But... With Hodge, it is a much more proletarian, middle-class dude who's really quite ordinary, and the nose even makes him worse and more physically grotesque. So some of the critics said, well, that's an interesting idea. That, that's kind of nice to see that this Cyrano isn't just a really good-looking, virile, handsome guy who just happens to have a bad nose, but just kind of a normal, lumpen proletarian guy who also has a bad nose. So we really understand where he's coming from, where he doesn't have much luck with the ladies. Anywho, um, got pretty good reviews. I mean, people, I guess people get a little tired of Bergerac after a while. It's a wonderful play. It's a fantastic story that gets redone over and over again. But as Ben Brantley in the New York Times put it, when Cyrano first starts while you're waiting for him, to come on stage, you're already nodding off because you know it so well. And it's like, okay, and the rhyme couplets come. But then you know, Cyrano comes on stage, and it's like, okay, we're there. We're ready for this story one more time. And it's only one more time for the Union Colony Dinner Theater. Uh, this is their last weekend in existence downtown in Greeley. mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that uh, Brandon Bill who took over the running of the Union Colony Dinner Theater just a little while ago and has done two shows so far. They're canceling their season in the middle of it. They had done Titanic, which I reported on here and was very, very good, and opened this season and opened this new phase of the Union Colony Dinner Theater in Greeley. And I was worried. I was like, well, man, this guy's taken over this theater, and the first show that he's putting on is Titanic? I mean, forget the metaphorical thing. You know, that's like uh, someone starting a new theater company with Macbeth. You know, talk about tempting fate or tempting reviews that start with, well, you thought Titanic sank, dot, dot, dot. But no, Brandon Bill had the guts. And also, Titanic is a big show. It's orchestral. It has a big cast. You know, it's epic in scope. 
but he did it. He did it really well, and hopes were really high for their second show, Once Upon a Mattress, which opened about a month ago, but audiences have just not come out for it, for the most part, and early kind of word on the show was not so great, even though uh, they got a pretty good review from the Coloradan uh, a couple of weeks ago, but none of it is helping, and so... After eight years in existence, the Union Colony Dinner Theater is saying farewell this weekend. They've got two more shows to go. They're doing Once Upon a Mattress, I guess, tonight, and then they've got a matinee tomorrow. I'll be there. And so (laughs) if you want to see me watching theater, if that's of any interest to you, come down to see Once Upon a Mattress downtown in Greeley and say farewell to um, a dinner theater that's done some good service for this community and as I was ranting about a week or two ago, is one of the only other theaters that we have in town besides the school, besides what's being done at UNC. You know, there, there's, there's, we have a couple of community theaters, I think, little small things, and one or two troops that play at the, um, in the Hensel Phelps at the Union Colony Civic Center. They don't own it. They don't have the place of their own. But as far as other really major theater troops, you have to leave town. And Greeley is a small city. You know, it's not a Hickburg with 2,000 people in it. It's, Greeley's big. And all we have is a school, and we rely on that almost completely for our theater. Because people, I guess, oh, well, we can go to Fort Collins. We can go to Boulder. We really want to see something. Well, we'll drive an hour and 20 minutes to Denver. And people do. And that's great, and I'm glad that they do. But what the hell? Let's have some theater here. We have spaces for it. Let's not lose this nice dinner theater space in downtown. Let's hope they keep it. I mean, they'll probably turn into a music place, uh, I would say, if they want to keep it going financially. I don't know. I've heard that the owners of the Union Colony dinner theater space, one is pro-theater and kind of would like to keep it going as an audience thing and a performing arts thing. The other doesn't care that much. Hopefully we won't lose it. Because, you know, aside from what's coming into the UCCC and UNC, we don't want this to be an arts drought town. Already kind of is. So this makes it even worse. Best wishes to Brandon Bill on his future endeavors. And um, as I said, even better wishes to the Union Colony Dinner Theater space and whatever they try and do with it. Well, um... Let's, let's, let's go out with the news gone by with a little piece of Once Upon a Mattress. This is from the revival that they did a few years back, I think back in 1997 or something, featuring Sarah Jessica Parker as Princess Winifred talking about ah, what we all hope for happily ever after. And so it was that soon after his encounter with the dragon Fafner, young Prince Walder fell into the enchanted mud, and before long, his head grew back. Hmm. Whereupon, he married the Princess Gunther. And they lived happily ever after. Well, I'm glad. They all lived happily, happily, happily ever after. The couple is happily leaving the chapel eternally tied. 
As the curtain descends, there is nothing but loving and laughter. When the fairy tale ends, the heroine's always a bride. Ella, the girl of the cinders, did the wash and the walls and the windows. But she landed a prince who was brawny and blue-eyed and blonde. Still, I honestly doubt that she could ever have done it without that crazy lady with the wand. Cinderella had outside help. I have no one but me. Fairy godmother, 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 where can you be? I haven't got a fairy godmother. Oh, I haven't got a godmother. I have a mother, a plain, ordinary woman. Snow White was so pretty, they tell us that the queen was insulted and jealous when the mirror declared that Snow White was the fairest of all. She was dumped on the border, but was saved by some men who adored her. Oh, I grant you, they were small, but there were seven of them, practically a regiment. I'm alone in the night by myself, not a dwarf, not an elf, not a goblin in sight. Seven determined little men working day and night just for her. Oh, sure, the queen gave her a poisoned apple. Even so, she lived happily, happily, happily ever after. A magical kiss counteracted the apple eventually. Though I know I'm not clever, I'll do what they tell me I have to. I want some happily ever after to happen to me. Oh, I ask for no more than two shoes on the floor next to mine. Oh, someone to fly and to float with, to swim in the marsh and the moat with. As for this one, well, he'd be fine. But now it's all up to me, and I'm burning to bring it about. If I don't, I'll be stuck with goodbye and good luck and get out. But I don't want to get out. I want to get in. Sarah Jessica Parker there from the revival of Once Upon a Mattress, sending it out to the folks at the Union Colony Dinner Theater for their last weekend, um, well, in existence, at least for the time being. It is 11.05 in the morning here, Mountain Time, at the University of Northern Colorado. You're listening to Dave's Gone By with me, Dave Lefkowitz, on uncradio.com, or if you're in the dorms at the school, you can get us on channel three of your dorm room TVs. So, other stuff that's going to be happening 
on this episode of Dave's Gong Bye. We got more music for you. We got our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment coming up, which will be a Canadian set list segue. He's been playing, uh, his tour has come to Canada this past week, and we found the set lists posted online, and so we're going to play some songs that Dylan chose to play in his Canadian set list this past week on Bob Dylan Sooner and Later. Also, if there's time, we're going to have a Saturday segue of peace songs, because we'll be talking about peace in just a couple of minutes. And what else? We've got the news gone by coming up as well, a return of a segment that we used to do in the first years of this program. Haven't done it in ages, but bringing it back for at least a week just for fun. The news gone by coming up soon. But before that, got to do some sponsors for you. Important to let you know who brings you this program and this radio station. First of all, letting you know that the Food Olympics 2012, this is new, the Food Olympics 2012, hosted by Phi Sigma Pi and Theta Electra Pi. I, I, I don't know Latin. I, they're they're uh, sororities, fraternities, whatever the hell they are. Competition events include Chubby Bunny, the Bread Eating Challenge, Bubblegum in a Tin, and Oreo Races. Teams of four can compete for 12 bucks. Single competitors compete for $5. Um, and there's a grand prize for the winning team or the winning competitor. This is all going to happen on Turner Green today from noon to 2 in the afternoon. So just an hour from now. Bring a sweater. It's still pretty chilly. But uh, enjoy the Food Olympics 2012. Also, I want to let you know of some bands that are coming into town. Um, and a lot of times, this radio station has free tickets to see these bands. You'll, you'll hear most of the giveaways during the week from like 4 till 10 or so. The shows, the students on here. you got to listen in to the programming on UNC Radio and see if you can win tickets to bands like Seether. Seether is playing the Fillmore Auditorium in Denver tonight. So for tickets, go to LiveNation.com if you want to buy them. Also, Taking Back Sunday, playing the Ogden Theater in Denver. That's tomorrow. Uh, for tickets, you can go to aeglive.com forward slash events. And then, haha, on November 3rd, Primus going to be at Denver's Fillmore Auditorium. And Primus, those are the guys who had the, that album, the breakthrough album from a band that is so weird that you can't imagine that they had a breakthrough. But, yep, they did that pork soda. They also are the band that does the opening theme for South Park. Primus at the Fillmore on November 3rd. You want to buy tickets to that there through LiveNation.com. Ooh, this is a new announcement. Let's see. 10th Avenue Swing Club. Okay. I assume this is not what I think it is. Registration is open for 10th Avenue Swing Club's Snowball Swing Fest. That's happening January 18th through the 21st of 2013. Professional instructors, late night dancing. Oh, they're really talking about... (laughs) They really are talking about dancing. Shame. Professional instructors, late night dancing, contests, and live music by the Hot Club of Pearl Street. The website for the event is snowballworkshop.weebly.com. Okay. Um, On October 30th, the 10th Avenue Swing Club Bake Sale will be at the UC, so you can stop by and get some delicious Halloween-themed treats and support the club. And then on Halloween, 
the bake sale is going to be in McKee's Breezeway. <laughs> Stop to get some delicious Halloween themed treats and support the club. So on the 30th, you can get them in the UC, and on Halloween, get them in the McKee Breezeway for the 10th Annual Swing Club. I was interested there for a moment. No comment. And also the uh, UNCO International Film Series. Okay, we're not going to read that because it's over, and we're going to. Well, they, well, they do have other films throughout the semesters. So for more information, go to unco.edu.ifs. They are up. Uh, here's one that they are still doing on October 17th and the 18th twice. They're showing a film called The Forgiveness of Blood. It's an Albanian film. Hmm. In a remote area of Albania, where the ancient ways of life have never truly departed, a family is torn asunder by the revival of the Albanian practice of blood-taking. Oh, it's a revenge thing. Honor through the act of killing. There's a blood feud. Won a lot of awards, man. It's the winner of the Silver Hugo Award for Best Screenplay at the Chicago Festival in 2011, and the Silver Berlin Bear for Screenplay at the Berlin International Film Festival. A Tale of Fear, Honor, and an Ancient Code of Laws. It's playing Wednesday the 17th at 7, Thursday the 18th at 7, in the Lindau Auditorium of Michener Library. UNC students getting free. Uh, faculty and members of the community are invited, and it costs only $3 for the UNC International Film Series. Oh, more sponsorship here. Dash the Dead. What the hell is this? This is, oh, God. Um, oh, it's a zombie thing. Not that I have anything against that. I, I should be equally nice and excited about all our sponsors. Let's see. Run, sprint, crawl your way through multiple obstacles while trying to stay alive. From the ever-growing number of zombies, two distances, multiple obstacles, and zombies. All ages welcome. There's a, there's a kid's fun run, too. Bands, DJs, food, the aftermath party, free with admission. Doesn't say what admission is or where the hell it is. It's tickets start at $20, and the location, here we go, Boardwalk Park in Windsor. This is about 10 minutes from Fort Collins, Loveland, and Greeley. So where's the information for this? It's happening. Uh, they only have a website. Come on. Oh, well, I just, just go there. <laughs> Dash the Dead, and that is happening October 20th, next weekend, in Windsor, Colorado. Okay, anything? Uh, here we go. Jeff Hargrove is a ghostwriter. He works with you to move your idea from your head to the page, allowing the story you never quite got right to finally get it put down on paper. He specializes in fictional prose, in, especially in a magical realism genre, but will ghost both nonfiction and scripts as well. However, he will not ghost erotica, essays, or poetry. I don't think most people need a ghost for erotica. Essays, certainly. The kids will want ghosts for essays. Um, anyway, Jeff can be contacted in any of three ways. 970-275-8298, 275-8298, or you can email Jeff, J-E-P-H, Jeff, J-E-P-H dot Hargrove at gmail.com. Jeff dot H-A-R-G-R-O-V-E at gmail.com. He's also got a Facebook page called Ghost Writer Jeff. Remember to spell Jeff with a P-H. And so, yeah, if, if, 
I'm making fun, but if you have a book in you and you're just not sure how to shape it or, or a memoir, lots of people are writing that kind of thing, and you have all the stories but you just don't know how to even start page one or even to start at page 50 if you need to, maybe uh, maybe this guy has the answer. Jeff Hargrove, 970-275-8298. Well, those are the sponsors of the radio station. You know what? I'll get to our sponsors a little later on. I don't want to just uh, have this advertising drag on, especially because we have a very important part of the show to do right now. You know, um, Rabbi Saul Solomon is a great friend of this program. He's been with us since our very first show back in October of 2002. And Rabbi Saul does different things for the show. Sometimes he'll come on to talk about Jewish holidays. Uh, Sometimes or in recent months, he's been doing our weekly rabbinical reflections about issues in the news and giving his religious, mm, um, yeah, it's a religious perspective of sorts. What he also does sometimes is interviews. And he's talked to people like uh, Fivish Finkel and Jewish actors and singers and dancers. He's also talked to a rabbi once or twice, and that's happening again this morning. Rabbi Samuel Entraitor is um, a long-standing rabbi. He ran for 10 years the Karlbach Shul in New York. And this was kind of a really special modern shul. It was based in the teachings of Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, who founded the shul in the, well, I guess it was the early 1960s. And, and Karlbach was very in, um, influenced by the whole 1960s youth movement, music and freedom and spirituality and mysticism and all of that, and, and Judaism not being just bound by not just what's in the books and the old traditional ways of doing things, but having a more spiritual and free and musical and mystical connection to Judaism. So he founded this movement, founded the shul, the synagogue in New York, and rang it until he died. But along the way, he appointed a successor, Rabbi Samuel Entraitor, who studied at the rabbi's feet and learned the ways of those practices and of that modern way of looking at Judaism. So Rabbi Entraitor ran that synagogue for 10 years and then decided to move on to other things, and now he's involved with a group called Real Peace Middle East, where they've got these ideas that they think will succeed where everyone else has failed in trying to bring the Jews and the Arabs, the Israelis and the Palestinians closer together and to forge somehow a real and lasting peace. Does Are the ideas, do they hold water? Um, is he just blowing smoke like everybody else, or do you know? Do they have something real to say? Rabbi Saul Solomon, who is nobody's fool and uh, you know, who, who, um, who will not step back from a fight or from throwing punches, he's going to go at Rabbi Samuel and Traitor all full blast. So we're going to see who comes out <laughs> both sides of this argument because I, I think they agree on a lot of things, but it'll be interesting to see where they disagree and how Rabbi Saul Solomon and Rabbi Samuel and Traitor get along. And so we're going to open that segment before the rabbi gets here with a little Shlomo Karlbach music. The the thing about Shlomo Karlbach and the reason he's known beyond very small Jewish circles is that he was also a folk singer, that he would take Jewish liturgical songs and, and pieces from the Bible and put them to folk music that he made up. You know, he had a great gift 
for folk melody. And he would be playing in Greenwich Village coffee houses, you know, even, even alongside people like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Tom Paxton, and then Richie Havens, and folks like that. And so he had this almost dual life of being a rabbi, but connecting that with being almost a pop star in a certain kind of a way. And so anyway, I like Shlomo Karlbach's music quite a lot. There are other things apparently that we are not going to like so much about him. I hope the rabbi will talk about that, Rabbi Saul. We'll see. Anyway, let's begin, though, with some Shlomo Karlbach music to start off this meeting of the rabbinical minds here on Dave's Gone By. Don't go away. Sign, lay the 
sosoin leireho uze mihas kere levedovitavdeho valare for me to be here on the radio again with you on this Dave's Gone By radio program. I have interviewed actors and authors and singers and entertainers and people who don't do anything particularly special. Not sure why I bother interviewing them, but I did. But here I get to talk to an actual fellow man of the cloth, another rabbi, and not just any rabbi. A rabbi who ran the famous Karlbach Shul for more than a decade. Not only that, after he was doing that, he's involved with an organization that is trying to make peace in the Middle East. Good luck with that. But they're doing it through comedy, through funny videos. And I'm intrigued by this because they actually made me laugh. And, you know, with the pain in my prostate, very few things do that. So I want to welcome to this program, the wonderful Rabbi Samuel Entrader. Shalom, Rabbi. Welcome to the neighborhood. Shalom, Rabbi. Rabbi, can I ask you for a bracha, for a blessing, that we should succeed in our mission to make peace? You know, I would love to give you a blessing for that, but uh, you're going to convince me first that you have an idea that people have not tried for the last 65 years. Like, I mean, like, what makes you think that your policies, that your ideas are going to succeed when millions of people have failed again and again? What, what are you offering? And if you convince me, I might give you a blessing. I think the name of our organization is Real Peace Middle East. And what we're trying to do is look at the peace process in as real a way as we can and not be limited by one or two agenda issues. In the past, one of the big issues brought up with regard to the peace process has been Israeli settlements and occupation. And that's an issue. But other issues have been totally ignored, such as the serious incitement that often comes out of Palestinian Authority TV that is very hateful many times towards Israelis and, and in many cases refuses to recognize even the existence of the state of Israel in textbooks uh, that are... are Taught to Palestinian children, Tel Aviv and Haifa are seen as port cities of a future Palestinian state. Uh, the government of uh, uh, the Palestinian Authority has made it very clear that it is not willing to recognize Israel as a Jewish state. So it seems to me as if these issues also need to be on the table in serious discussion, and they've not been. When people in the peace movement have talked about peace, they've generally not talked about these issues. It was only Israeli occupation, and it was settlements, and those issues are all that you hear. And I think the reason why they have failed is because they're not putting everything on the table. The Palestinian government, uh, Palestinian Authority, I should say, currently has a coalition government 
with a terrorist organization, Hamas. And all these kinds of issues impede the peace process. Now, Rabbi and Traitor, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you there because, you know, as, as a Jew, I talk a lot as well. But here's the deal. I agree a hundred and... 103% with it. Not just 100%, but I add an extra 3% because I agree with you so strongly on all these things. But what you're saying is not necessarily an, uh, a solution or an addition to peace. All you're saying is the thing that pro-Jewish people like us, pro-Zionist people like us, have been saying forever. If anything, you're polarizing things more to the pro-Israeli side just by mentioning, oh, well, they don't recognize the state and they're with a terrorist. How is that helping? I think the way it's helping is that the old approach hasn't worked, and we need to ask ourselves why hasn't it worked. It hasn't worked because the Palestinians get more emboldened when these issues are ignored, when the President of the United States says Israeli settlement is the primary reason why the peace process can't come forward, then uh, the uh, uh, President of the Palestinian Authority says, I have nothing more to do, it's all up to Israel right now. They get more emboldened, and as a result of that, of course, Israel feels more insecure. So the irony is, under the Obama administration peace process, the polarization is greater and the possibilities for peace are far less than they've ever been before. They have diminished the chances of there being peace that have increased them in four years. Have there been peace negotiations? Perhaps if the President of the United States were to put his hand down strong and say yes, I support the creation of a Palestinian state, which I do too, by the way, and I have for 30 years. But on the other hand, I have to talk straight to you. These issues also need to be discussed as loudly as the occupation. If you really want a two-state solution, we have to discuss both issues. And I think there's been this fear in many in the peace movement to be candid and speak about this. The only people that bring these issues up are people that you might call to the far right in the Jewish community or in the Christian Zionist community, and many of them believe in greater Israel. And I think the uniqueness of our approach is that we support a two-state solution very strongly, but we also feel that if these issues are not given justice and are not dealt with in a fair and open way, and even just beginning a discussion of them, there will be no peace because these issues impede the peace process. How can you make peace with somebody who refuses to recognize you? I mean, for all intents and purposes, when the Palestinians say they recognize Israel, they do not recognize Israel as a Jewish state. I may add a touch of humor. Someone once said their two-state solution is one for Abbas and one for Hamas. That is funny. That is. Thank you for adding the the humor there. That's that. <laughs> Nor leave me most of the other jokes, but that was cute. But uh, it is true that if you actually look on the internet and look for maps of the Middle East that are put out by Arab countries or Arab organizations, Israel is literally not even visible on the maps. It just says Palestine, or it doesn't say anything at all. And they don't even. They literally do not recognize that Israel exists. But. Let me add the but here, because I have a rather big but, as I see when I look in the mirror. The question is, Ronald Reagan, you should pardon the expression, George Bush, these were far-rightish people who were very pro-Israel, and who, when dealing with, uh, you should also pardon the expression, Yasser Arafat, were saying you have to recognize Israel. That didn't work back then either, and they were really Christian Zionist, pro-right, etc., and so forth. 
I, I don't know why you think these issues have not been brought up and have not been dealt with in political circles with the far right. I think my critique here is, and even of President Bush, I think for eight years when he saw that the Palestinians don't want to move on that, he dropped it and just didn't pursue it any further. I, his intentions were good. He felt there's no chance. I think in light of the Arab Spring, for instance, we have seen that the Arab League is willing to play a responsible role at times and is willing to talk straight. And they did, in many cases, bring down dictators, and I'm not going to get into the politics of that pro or con, but they, they disagreed with their fellow brothers, fellow cousins, who they always supported. And I think there is an opportunity here. I think it's the President of the United States, someone like Barack Obama especially, who is known to be a staunch advocate for peace, if he would talk Turkey, if he would talk straight, and he would say, there cannot be peace if you do not teach your children to recognize Israel as a Jewish state, if your maps do not recognize Israel. I think we need to start pressuring them. I think my critique maybe of Bush was that there was no pressure. It was, okay, you, you don't want to recognize Israel? I can't pursue the peace process. I say, let's begin pressuring, let's make that the imperative, let people in the peace movement start screening and saying we want peace, but we want a real peace, not a, a kind of superficial peace, but has no real result. And if I may turn to humor and tell you that we put out a series of webisodes, and in one of them we have a, a 50-style kitchen that uh, a, a young lady is trying to bake a cake, and she puts in different ingredients. The various ingredients she puts in include Hamas and Iran and all the wars that the Israelis and the Arabs have fought and um, President Abbas, a leader who refuses to sit down and negotiate peace at this point, and President Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu, who basically do not trust each other. And when you mix all these different ingredients that clash with each other together, you know what happens in the end? What happens? The cake and the kitchen explode. There's an explosion. And I think what we're saying is that this peace process is explosive because it is mixing elements that clash with each other. If we're talking peace, we need to talk peace. You can't raise your children on war and brainwash your children and talk war and then say you're for peace. And I think my critique is of the peace movement. Why is, are people in the peace movement who are progressive endorsing some of the most regressive policies that are currently emanating out of many Palestinian camps, that are currently allowing for a peace process that requires Israel to give land away to the Arabs, that no Jew is allowed to step foot in, let alone live there. That is racist. That is bigoted. That is human right. And my challenge is to people in the peace movement to be truly progressive and to say, these issues are unacceptable and the peace process is not working because we are not being candid about these issues. Now, let me ask Rabbi Samuel Entrader, who, who is fired with passion. He's, he's amusing. He's not that funny, but he's a little funny, but very impassioned and interesting to listen to about the whole situation in the Middle East. But here is it was where we may also part company a little bit, because we're both very, very gung-ho about a safe and sovereign state of Israel and all of that. But you are, as you said, for the past 30 years, very for a two-state solution. I am not so sure, A, that is workable, or B, 
necessary. Why does the Palestinian state have to be in Israel or part of Israel? Why can't they live somewhere else, somewhere else in the Arab world? You know, I'm dealing with a status quo. While I support a two-state solution, I've heard very convincing arguments that question whether the Palestinians really are a people, but I don't want to go there. We're dealing with the political reality on the ground. The political reality is that there are Palestinian people who claim that they have rights to this land. They're not going away. There are clearly many Jewish people who claim and have strong history backing them up that they have rights to this land. They're not going away, God willing. So what we need to say is the only way that we can bring peace to this process is if we teach the two sides to accept each other and coexist. I think what you're putting forward is probably not realistic based on the reality on the ground. A peace process right now is equally not realistic based on the reality on the ground. What we do need to do is begin broadening the discussion to include the kinds of issues I've spoken about, and then maybe we can create conditions that will force the two people to accept each other and learn to live side by side. So it's not an easy process. Do you make Jerusalem a, an international city? Is that your, uh, your thing, too? I believe that Jerusalem clearly has strong historic connection to the Jewish people. For 2,000 years when we were in exile, we prayed to Jerusalem, we prayed for Jerusalem, with Jerusalem. I think that is something that clearly is a non-negotiable issue from our perspective. Um, there are ways of still recognizing, as Israel has done very progressively and in a very open way, Arab and Palestinian rights within this, the city of Jerusalem. But I think Jerusalem clearly, the Jewish community, the Jewish people have strong rights to that go back thousands of years. And that is a deeply emotional issue that I think we can't just put on the table and say, okay, we'll internationalize that too. But to be truthful, if that were the only impediment to peace, and if we were to see that the Arabs are really ready to live side by side in brotherhood together with Israelis, and they cut their incitement, stop the terror, and the only impediment were, were the status of Jerusalem, I think there would be a way to work that out, too. But we're a far cry from that right now. Jerusalem is Israel's capital. It has always been, and God willing, always will be. <sighs> I mean, you know, there are so many things I agree with you with, and, and but I wonder if you are too much of an idealist in a lot of ways, too. I mean, you, a lot of the things you're saying, oh, we have to demand this and demand this, and this will be sensible, and the Arabs will listen, and we'll force them to listen, and then we'll coexist. Jerusalem will work. I mean, I wonder, I really wonder if you do have, as, as wonderfully as you're talking, if you really do have any kind of solution that hasn't been put forward or just squashed by, as you say, the realities on the ground. I would like to suggest that I'm a pragmatic idealist. I do believe in peace. And the handwriting on the wall right now does not suggest it in any serious way. But the pragmatic reality is that if either side has total domination, there will not be peace. So the pragmatic reality is that we need to create conditions, and that is something new, Rabbi, that has not been talked about. If people in the peace movement would talk the way I'm talking, and the Palestinians would hear that the progressive community that wants peace and that has been screaming peace so strongly for all these years is, set, is calling them to task, 
would be a change. I think they're getting away with it because many of the progressive community are deaf to this discussion and they don't want to hear about it. They just want to blame Israel. It's convenient. It's the reflex reaction of superficial nature. It's all Israel's fault. And, and I think that is why the Palestinians get more emboldened. And I think their own leaders aren't being honest with them. And I think many in the progressive community around the world are not being true to their values and honest as well. Real peace, Middle East, requires a very open discussion. There's nothing novel to what I'm saying. You know, a great rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lazato, said in an introduction to his book, Mesulat Yisharim, he said something so beautiful. He said, what I am saying is nothing new, but just as it's not new, people have a tendency to forget it. The purpose of my book is to remind people that in order to have a true peace process, we need to discuss these issues. And that is my critique. And I feel that President Obama has really not paid any serious attention to these other issues. And that's why he has failed. And that's why he has done the exact same thing that George Bush did, has had no movement on the peace process. America has strong financial hold, obviously. It, it, it funds the Palestinian Authority in a big way. I think if we begin a serious, earnest discussion and try to force a peace process, something President Bush did not do, I think there are possibilities to begin changing the atmosphere. And yes, it, it's idealism, but it's pragmatism. I'm telling you what needs to happen. We need to change the discussion. Okay. Okay. I, I, need, I need to change the discussion as well here to, to go on a different uh, track. I, mean, I think you certainly have made a very strong uh, point, but I want to find out a little, about, uh, a little more about you, Rabbi Samuel Intrader. I want to I know how you became a rabbi. <clears throat> how I became a rabbi? Yes. I was born a rabbi. No, I'll, <laughs> in a word, I've always been inspired by rabbis as a child. And when I say I was born a rabbi, from my earliest memories, rabbis were very inspirational in my life. And I, I was blessed to have been in the presence of some, I grew up in a little town in Baltimore, and there was a Rabbi Taub there who was very inspirational, Rabbi Sternhold. At any rate, these rabbis had a strong influence on my life. As I got older, I moved to New York, and I met other great rabbis. The Rabbi of Bubbub had a great inspirational effect on me. And then I met my master, my teacher, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, and he kind of bridged a lot of worlds for me. He sort of took me back to my roots, to my childhood, with his deep spirituality, but also put it forward in a very progressive, idealistic way, if you will. And um, that resonated very strongly with me, and that sort of helped me progress to a form of rabbinate that is very joyous, very optimistic, very positive. Is it, is it mystical in any way? People say he was almost a sort of a mystic kind of person. Or is that... Yes. It, what, what, what does that mean? What that, how, how was he different from the other rabbis who imparted uh, their learning to you? I think his mysticism, as you say, his modernity, his tradition, he took me back to the world of my grandparents, but also allowed me to peek at the world of my grandchildren. And I think being a very modern man, he would march in the peace demonstrations in the 60s, but he would also go into Hasidic courts and, and, and interact with people that are to the far right and the far left, and it's bridging those worlds that inspired me. Most of my teachers, masters that I met before, either fit into one of those two worlds, many of them, most of them more to the right, and he kind of bridged those two worlds for me. He took that ancient, older tradition and made it very contemporary, very futuristic, and infused it with lots of the 
real and excited, and that talked to me in a very different way. Now, how old was he and were you when you first came into his temple? Was he already uh, getting towards uh, being really old, or, or what? He was, no, no, he was, I would say, in his late 40s, and oh. I was a teenager uh, in my late teens, and um, early 20s, perhaps, and, um, you know, it, it was just the right time he had developed his process very powerfully by that point, and I was seeking, living in two worlds. I was, I was in college, and uh, Michael Harrington was my professor at um, Queens College and the other, author of The Other America, very progressive, uh, a great soul who had a great effect on me. And then I would go for Shabbat to Bubba Besacita Court in Brooklyn and be touched by the charisma and mysticism of the Bubba Berebi. And both of those worlds were like stirring in my soul. And Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach helped synthesize those two worlds for me. Well, speaking of being touched, the elephant in the room is the allegations that have come out against Rabbi Karlbach since his death, which is not really fair to someone who's dead. But have you any idea? Did you uh, know anything about what was also going on with him? I tell you, you know, he's quoted the elephant in the room, and it's posthumously. Obviously, these stories did not surface in any way when he was alive, and I think what that does is it, it obviously complicates the situation very uh, severely. It is very difficult to um, posthumously uh, go back in history and, and account for. Shlomo Karlbach was a very loving man. Well, he embraced every human being, every child, um, literally embraced. He probably hugged more people in the world than any human being alive, uh, and he traveled the world and that meant men and women, and that meant children and, and old people. And from those, from that warmth, one could assume messages are misunderstood, especially when there's a male-female uh, chemistry that gets sometimes intermixed. I knew him to be a very loving, compassionate, caring person, deeply spiritual. And I think in that context, he has impacted the world brilliantly. These right. allegations that you speak of obviously are there. And, um, you know, they're on the record. They can't be denied. They're the reality on the ground right now. But the Shlomo Karlbach I knew didn't resemble that in any way. He was a very loving, compassionate person. And as, as his personal assistant for many years, an assistant rabbi for several years as well, excuse me, I not see that side of him. I saw... You saw only... The, I mean, everybody has a shadow side, the side they don't want the world, the rest of the, Even the people who seem the most perfect may have a dark side, but you uh, you have no personal knowledge or experience or, or any of that. For you, the Karlbach you knew was only the good Karlbach, right? That's right, that's right. I mean, look, he clearly was not, I wouldn't put him on, on a level of an idol, obviously, and everybody has shortcomings, and, and, and clearly he, he, like, he, to me, he's very human to me. The greatness of Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach is not that he's an angel or some mythical figure, but that he was human and had shortcomings and had failures. Well, what, what were the he shortcomings? Was still able to rise to that very high level and was still able to impact people so beautifully. Well, I'm, I'm wondering what human frailties did you see in him? Because when you listen to the records, he is perfection. I met him once on the street, you know, I just saw him on the street and said, oh my God, it's Shlomo Karlbach. And he seemed really, really saintly. He seemed like he was in another kind of a holy world, literally. So I don't see, what shortcomings did you see from him? Yeah, I mean, look, like, like every human being uh, have different issues. I mean, 
clearly timeliness was not a strong point of his, and he would many times keep people waiting for hours, and that got people angry, and usually that was because he was tending to somebody else um, and wasn't able to come timely, and he was known to be tardy and late for everything. If I may make a shot at humor, somebody said he did everything late, but leaving this world, then he did way too early. Um, he he um, clearly, um, you know, was a person who was trying to be a father to a lot of people and trying to be loving to a lot of people. And maybe, you know, he went overboard sometimes in doing that. And, and, and that created complications in relationships and other things. I mean, there are clearly, every person has issues. Um, but to me, what we need to remember is that whatever challenges people have with him, we need to remember that the good that he did was so powerful and is having obviously an eternal impact. There are right now thousands of people, tens of thousands, from all Jewish walks of life, far right to the far left, hundreds of thousands, I'll say. Uh, every denomination is into his music, getting more and more into his teachings, into his stories, into his message of love. So I would say that is the Shlomo Karlbach we need to remember. And clearly the allegations that are being put forward are serious, and people that are out there in the world need to be careful in that context um, when they interact, and we need to obviously hear those women and their pain and what they're claiming, but we need to remember that this man literally spent 24-7 tending and caring. To, so he slept a few hours a day, I would say, literally. He was on the phone with people visiting him, concertizing, uh, studying. I mean, he didn't have time for that kind of stuff. Uh, he, was, he, he was one person who was literally infused and infatuated with his mission day and night. And um, that's what he engaged in, and, and that's what I saw him practice. Did you by any chance see the um, the musical that was in Florida and then they brought it to New York for a yes, couple Yes, yes, I definitely saw it. And I think it, it makes a brilliant attempt at trying to get his message through. And I think it succeeds in that, in that people get a sense that he was a man who tried to teach love to the world and tried to root it in his tradition and tried to reach out. And, and I think that, um, you know, again, it's, it's not obviously a literal biography of his life story. So there are a lot of things in there that are factually inaccurate, but that notwithstanding, they never intended for it to be uh, factually accurate. That notwithstanding, the deeper mission of the man comes through beautifully. That, by the way, the uh, name of that of that show is called Soul Doctor. They were trying to bring it to Broadway. They brought it off Broadway for two or three weeks in the summer, and so I'm, I'm not sure where the show is going at the moment. But I just wanted to, to get that out there. That they're doing it in other places. It's called Soul Doctor. Now you replaced, in a matter of speaking, the, the soul doctor in the shul. He appointed you his, his next of, uh, you know, not next of kin, but you know what I'm saying, his replacement. What was that like going into the shul that this charismatic man ran for so many years? Let me say I tried, for starters, and I will say that he clearly left a very powerful legacy and got, you know, the moment he passed away, it was like he was very well known and very popular when he was alive, but the myth and who the man really was just grew by leaps and bounds literally within days of his passing. And that created a very powerful energy where people were coming and yearning for the excitement. So together with hundreds and in many cases thousands of people, we started singing and dancing to his songs. 
no one can fill those shoes, but I was there as a vehicle to try to keep that approach going and broadening it by allowing more and more people, obviously, to participate in it because it was it was the hottest thing. Literally within weeks and months of it passing, these Kalbach Minyanim from the bottom one up just rose around the country and around the world. Unlike other movements that have very strong structures, uh, this didn't have that. It was a genuine grassroots movement. And I started visiting communities around the country and in, in Israel and in England around the world as well and connecting with people and just helping it, you know, continue in the tradition with which he, he, he infused his synagogue in so beautifully. And um, it was very challenging, obviously, because no one can replace someone like him. But it was an honor and it was very inspiring at the same time. And it was comforting to, to be with people and to connect with people who were trying to continue something beautiful and grow it in every way. Well, what happened, you were there for, for about 10 years running the Karlbach Shul, and then something went wrong? What, what happened? Why didn't that continue? It was time for me to move on. It was um, the, the synagogue at that point was growing beautifully, and um, I had some. Fa- I, my, I just got married and blessed with, with a family. Needed to sort of deal with family issues, and at that point, as the shul was was growing and evolving, there were many people that were getting excited about it. And at a certain point, I just realized that um, let me take a back seat and do my own thing, and. Other people stepped in, and the show is continuing beautifully right now. And here in Florida, I'm in the middle of creating something like that as well. And I travel around the country and do these kinds of programs. And it was a beautiful experience in the years that I was at the Karlbach show. And uh, at a certain point, you sort of need to move on in life. And God bless me that I'm moving into different worlds as you see right now as well. Is it the dream again? Yeah, it's the dream again. The one about your mother. No, it's just as weird. I'm standing in front of my temple, completely naked, wearing nothing but my yarmulke. Back it aside. I know. I never wear my yarmulke. And all my friends are yelling at me. For being naked or for wearing a yarmulke? Neither. They're yelling at me because I'm talking about how much I love Israel. I'm worried that I'm in love with Israel. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. When did this start happening? When I was a kid, I went on a team tour to Israel. And I I came home with all these amazing feelings. But I think that was because I made out with Sherry Needleman on the bus ride to Masada. It's a fantasy. You outgrow these things. I know, I know. And I did. I went to college. I learned that Israel was a horrible apartheid place. And, you know, I was fine. Then what? Then there was the earthquake in Haiti. I think it's a bit far-fetched to believe that Israel caused the earthquake. No, no, no. Israel leads the world to humanitarian relief. Yeah, but that's just to distract the world from the occupation of Gaza. That's what I thought at first, but Israel's not in Gaza anymore. Well, that's right, but there's a blockade, and blockades are illegal. Not if the people you're blockading are trying to kill you. Did you ever think that maybe your friends are right? Maybe the settlements are the problem. But the settlements only take up 2% of the West Bank. That's just statistics. 90% of the people who use statistics are wrong. Doesn't make sense. Don't what you see? Does it? None of it. We're liberals. We believe in things like gay rights and equality and voting for all citizens. Exactly. And Israel does all that. But we spend our time boycotting and petitioning. Hmm? Why? Wait a minute. What is... Is there something you're not telling me? Jason... What did you do? 
What did you do, Jason? I booked a trip to Israel. And? And I'm taking my mother. I'm gonna have to cancel my next appointment. Lie down. Lie back down, Jason. trying to build a, a shul of your own, as it were, or a congregation in Florida while doing the uh, Real Peace Middle East uh, organizational stuff. Am I correct? Yeah, and let me just add, if I'm correct, and let me just add, if I may, that in the, term, in, in the terms of Shlomo Karlbach, in, in the peace process, just in, in Israel, if I sure. uh, um, I Tie it all together with a beautiful red bow. Go ahead. I'll tell you, I'll tell, I'll tell we'll try I was driving with him once on the BQE. I hope there's no uh, police officer listening. Maybe I was going 80 miles an hour. I don't remember. At any rate, um, as we're talking, and I said to him, Shlomo, this is probably in the 80s, and I said, what would be so wrong if the Palestinians have their own state? And if over the course of five years, which is what the peace process meant back then, um, Israel gives a little bit of land, and they put their weaponry down, and if after five years, the evolutionary period, uh, uh, takes us to giving them a state that um, don't have their own state and will live in peace. I'll never forget this. He put his finger on the button to the passenger side of the door, and he said to me, Sammy, I don't know if I'm allowed to be in the same car with you. You just don't get it. And, you know, to be truthful, I, I was very naive, and I guess I still am very idealistic, as you say. And um, this is the same Shlomo Karlbach who, if he would go to Israeli prison, would not start singing until Arab prisoners would join the circle. Once there was one of the Munich terrorists in a prison cell where he was about to begin singing, he refused to begin singing until that terrorist joined the circle. I believe the story is I wasn't there. They sat there for about two hours. Eventually, the terrorist saw that this man was for real. And she joined the circle, and as Shlomo told the story, he was teaching Rav Nachman of Breslov. She was translated into Arabic to the Arab prisoners, and they were singing and dancing together, and it was one of those idealistic, beautiful, holy moments. So I want to point out, this is the same Shlomo Karlbach who was idealistic, but was pragmatic. And I think that is what I, I'm trying to sort of synthesize here, too, and saying we have to look at this in a pragmatic way, not lose our idealism, continue dreaming about peace, not giving up on that, and, and, and yet speaking in a very practical way and saying, we tried giving land away, and it didn't work. Whatever we gave, Israel gave land away, they were met with terror, they were met with suicide bombers, it hasn't worked. The other side needs to change its behavior in order for Israel to be able to give them the land that they want in order to form the kind of state they need to. And we need to start saying that. Well, Rabbi Samuel Entrega, you have said it quite succinctly and beautifully. And I, as I said, I agree. I'll, I'll push it even to 104%. 
for your sake. I, I was agreeing 103% before, but I'm adding a percentage. 104% with Rabbi Samuel and Trader. And by the way, if you go to the website rpme.org, Real Peace Middle East, Dot org, then you can see what he's talking about and see these very amusing, they are funny videos that they're putting together to get their points across. They're also on YouTube, of course, which is where you can see them. So, Rabbi and Trader, I just want to thank you so much for being so open and honest and truthful and out there with what you're saying, both on this program and in the world at large. And I wish you best of luck and mazel with, mazel and glick with your shul that you're developing in Florida and your organization and your family and everything else that you're doing. Rabbi Zaitazin, may I ask you now, as I did initially a half an hour ago, can you now give us a bracha to succeed in this project? Oh my goodness, let me, let me try. Let me, I, I'm not that good at being put on the spot, but let me see. It's uh, Baruch Atah, you, and I hope you really succeed. It would be nice to have some peace, cause that is what we all need. Thank you, Rabbi and Trader. You couldn't be greater. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you so much. And God bless you, and, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Lovely chatting with you, Rabbi. Well, thank you so much to Rabbi Saul Solomon and to Rabbi Samuel Intrader for being in the neighborhood on this rainy Saturday. Wasn't expecting this. I was expecting cool weather. And I thought that the storms were coming yesterday, but they waited until today. Actually, um, I should have gotten the... Uh, Let's see if I can get the weather up for you. Also, have to do more sponsors and lots more stuff on this episode of Dave's Gone By. It is exactly noon, Mountain Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Time, and you're listening to Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio, the radio station of the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and I've been hosting the show for 10 full years now. We had our anniversary show last week. Remember that you can listen to every show on this station at UNC, <coughs> excuse me, uncradio.com and Channel 3 on televisions in the dorm rooms at the University of Northern Colorado. Now, looking at the weather in Greeley and northern Colorado. Let's, uh, let's see if Yahoo will pop that up for me in a moment or two. Or six. Come on. Come on, little fella. You know you can do it. 
Okay, while we're waiting for that, let me do the sponsors for this radio show, which is brought to you by Total Theater and TotalTheater.com. This is an absolutely free website of theater news and, and theater reviews and articles and interviews. You go to TotalTheater.com. And what, um, what you find there, first of all, if you go to the Criticopia section, you click and you can read reviews of shows playing on Broadway, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, and all around the country, all around the world. So recent additions to the Total Theater Criticopia section include a review of Crap's Last Tape, the Samuel, Deckett, uh, Samuel Beckett play that's playing in Los Angeles with John Hurt, that very, very fine actor. Also, there's Enemy of the People featuring Richard Thomas. That just opened on Broadway. You can read reviews of that. And then you've also got November, the wild uh, David Mamet farce that's having its West Coast premiere in Los Angeles and featuring Ed Begley Jr., whom you may remember from St. Elsewhere and the Christopher Guest films, and Felicity Huffman from, uh, was it Desperate Housewives? Anywho, all those shows and more reviewed at TotalTheater.com, absolutely free. And remember, if you go to the Periodica section, that's where you can read interviews and articles about the theater in America and around the world. Now, Total, Total Theater, the company, also puts out Performing Arts Insider. This is a journal, a hard-copy bulletin of Broadway, off-Broadway, and everything going on on the stages of New York. There are chronological listings. There's also very in-depth guides to every show playing on, off, and off, off-Broadway. So if you want to know how to contact an actor or a director or a designer or the producers, it will give you the press agent contacts, the managers, sometimes the direct emails of people. It's all there. This inside information that is used by people like talent bookers for late-night talk shows, they subscribe to Performing Arts Insider because they know this is information they can get either nowhere else or they have to spend minutes or hours tracking stuff down, whereas Performing Arts Insider puts it all between very handy pages that you can read on your desk, on the train. You know, people say, well, why, why are they still doing a hard copy magazine? Isn't everything online? And the answer is no. Not everything. Sometimes you just want something you can open up and read and find charts and lists. So PerformingArtsInsider.com is the place to find out more about Performing Arts Insider Theater Journal and how you can subscribe. This program is, of course, also brought to you by Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway since the 1970s. And, and by the way, when I say Broadway, I mean Broadway in Hewlett, Long Island. See, Minuteman is, of course, a chain, a franchise, but the folks in the Hewlett Minuteman have been owning and operating their store since the 1970s. They do great work for reasonable prices in a pretty quick turnaround time, and they're wonderful to work with. The Torong family, I've been dealing with them for well over a decade. I still Get work done at Hewlett Minuteman Press, even though I'm 2,000 miles away now in Colorado. You can find them on Broadway, right across the street from the Lomans and three blocks from the Hewlett train station, you can save 10% 
on any job, big or small, by mentioning this program, Dave's Gone By, 10% off. Doesn't matter if you walk in in there for like one color copy or if you're having a dozen things bound um, in beautiful form or if you're putting your logo on a mug or a calendar or a golf ball. Doesn't matter. Unit Minuteman Press is the place to go. So give them a call at 516-569-5577. Area code 516-569-5577. Hewlett Minuteman Press. They are the kings. And I also want to give a shout out to my good friend and colleague, Jeff Goodman of Fancy Schmancy Balloons. Jeff is has been the co-host on this radio show. He was for about two and a half years when we were back on Long Island. He's doing great. We had him on our anniversary program last week, and he's still doing everything that he does. And give him a call if you want him to do it for you, 516-799-0012. Because Fancy Schmancy Balloons, if you're in the tri-state area, um, this is the place to go if you want to have a party and you want to make it look great. It's not just like balloon animals and stuff. It's balloon archways and centerpieces. And if you have a theme for your party, like you want to make it look like the New York Yankees. Yay, Yankees. Um, or you want to make it look like, I don't know, the Hunger Games series or the, the Vampire Stuff series or anything at all. Um, or, a, or a Broadway theme. Jeff can make it happen for you and your party. Give him a buzz. 516-799-0012. Well, that takes care of our sponsors. We did the sponsors for the station before. So now we can move on and do more of Dave's Gone By. We're here until 1 o'clock on this rainy Saturday. This is what we're going to get, folks. It's about 48 degrees out now, going up to a high of 62, but that rain looks like it's going to continue for a bit. Let's see where we can get the more um, specific stuff. It'll be a little bit warmer tomorrow and certainly drier and more sunny, getting up to a high of 70. And then Monday, warm front comes in, going to go all the way up to almost 80 degrees on Monday. And then, then a bit of a cloudiness and a bit of a cool down. Um, we've got someone calling, but we're on the air, so she's going to have to call back in a bit, especially since we're going to be playing our Bob Dylan sooner and later segment here. We do that every week on Dave's Gone By. It's where we play different songs from times, different times of Dylan's career from the very early stages and the bootlegs and the real bootlegs right up through his most recent album, which just came out uh, two, well, about a month ago now. On September 11th, he released Tempest. Well, Bob Dylan still has this never-ending tour that he does. Thank goodness we can still see him live. Sometimes he's great, sometimes he's awful, a lot of times in between, but people are just still happy to go and be able to see Bob Dylan play live. And now he's in Canada. He was at Regina's Brandt Center last Saturday on October 6th, and they noted the song list, the set list that he played, what songs he chose to do. So um, what I thought would be fun is to play some of the songs that Bob Dylan has been doing on his recent tour, or the swing through Canada. The only really surprising part is that even though he's got this brand new album called Tempest, it's um, he's only been doing one song or no song, no songs at all from that record. 
and he's been just dipping and poking into other times of his career. So he's not one of those artists who's like, oh, wow, I've got a new album out. I better play all the songs from it. Good for him, I guess, even though Tempest has some great stuff on it, and it's gotten really excellent reviews. So it's Dylan being Dylan. Let's hear Dylan singing and being Dylan. We'll start with the song that opened his set list last Saturday at Regina's Brandt Center. It's from the Greatest Hits Volume 2 collection with Watching the River Flow. What's the matter with me? I don't have much to say. Daylight sneaking through the window and I'm still in this old night cafe Walking to and fro beneath the moon Out to where the trucks are rolling slow Sit down on this bank of sand and watch the river flow Wish I was back in the city Instead of this old bank of sand With the sun beating down over the chimney tops And the one I love so close at hand If I had wings and I could fly I know where I would go But right now I just sit here so contentedly Watch the river flow People disagreeing on just about everything Yeah Makes you stop and wonder why Why only yesterday I saw somebody on the street Who just couldn't help but cry Oh, this old river keeps on rolling though No matter what gets in the way And which way the wind does blow as long as it does, I just sit here and watch the river flow. Watch the river flow. 
traveling in the North Country Fair But the winds hit heavy on the borderline Remember me to one who lives there She once was a true love of mine If you go in the snowflake storm When the river's freezing, summer in Safe for me if she's wearing a coat so warm I keep her from the howling wind Safe for me if her hair is hanging long If it rolls and grows all down her breast Save the me if her hair is hanging long That's the way I remember her best Wondering if she remembers me at all Many times I've often Traveling in the North Country Fair Where the winds in heavy on the borderline Remember me the one who lives there She once was a true love of mine
drinking champagne That white skin got assassin's eyes I'm looking up into the sapphire tinted skies I'm wild dressed Waiting on the last train Standing on the gallows with my I'm 
guess I don't give a damn about your dreams Thunder on a mountain, it is gonna be Step your down on me All the ladies in Washington Are scrambling to get out of town Look like something bad Gonna happen better Roll your airplane down Everybody going in I wanna go too Don't wanna take a chance With somebody new I did all I could I did it right there and then I've already confessed, no need to confess again Gonna make a lot of money, gonna go up north I plant and I'll harvest what the earth brings forth The hammers on the table, the pitchforks on the shelf For the love of God, God take pity on yourself Can't 
recorded at Newport many, many years ago. Bob Dylan and Friends. That's what it says on the actual album cover. I have a rare record from the Vanguard folks called Greatest Folk Singers of the 1960s, and it was just a compilation record and then a CD of all the folks on the Vanguard label and appearing at Newport. So people like Odetta and Joan Baez and uh, I don't know, Paxton was on Electra, but other folks of that era and that ilk and the Oscar brands and such. And they all got together at this moment when Bob Dylan was basically the king of Newport, had to be, I guess, 63 or 64, and sang his song, Bob, uh, sang his song, Blowing in the Wind, which Bob Dylan did as his encore uh, back on October 6th, last Saturday, when he was playing in Canada at Regina's Brandt Center. So, yeah, we played our Bob Dylan Saturday segue, our Sooner and Leaguer segment, all songs that he dipped into his career to play during his Canadian concert last Saturday. So we opened with the song he opened with, Watching the River Flow, followed by Girl from the North Country, and then Things Have Changed. By the way, that Girl from the North Country was a live version from that 30th anniversary due that Columbia Records threw for Bob Dylan. And that's already a bunch of years ago because Dylan's coming up on his 50th anniversary of a lot of things. Blowing in the Wind is now 50 years old. Anywho, um, is that that's a, seven for eight point nine four? Yep, it sure is. Uh, what else did I want to tell you about that? So those were the first three songs that Dylan opened with in Canada. We also heard Thunder on the Mountain from the Modern Times collection. That was the 11th song he played last Saturday. And then the last song he played before encores, the the end of the concert, was All Along the Watchtower. And we played a live version of that from MTV Unplugged. So yeah, there's our Dylan which really is sooner and later. All these songs that he's still playing and songs that are going back 30, 40 years that we're also playing on Dave's Gone By. It is 12.38 in the afternoon mountain time. We're here till 1 on uncradio.com. And it's time now for a segment that we have not done for many years. As I mentioned earlier in the program, um, Way back when, when the show started, we always had it as an eclectic mix of talk and music and humor and interviews, all sorts of stuff. One of the segments that we had was a weekend update sort of thing, where I would talk about the news in an amusing and interesting way, hopefully. And we just stopped doing it years ago because it's a lot of work and a lot of time and effort and thought goes into it. But I thought, oh, it was nice to hear it when I was piecing together Uh, stuff for our anniversary broadcast last week and going through old shows and listening to what I sounded like and what I was writing about and talking about. So I thought, eh, just for fun, for this week, let's bring back the news gone by. It is Saturday, October 13th, 2012. Time for a look at news and events in our world from a peaceful perspective. We begin with sports. Congratulations to the New York Yankees who battled back from a summer slump to make the playoffs, and then last night beat the Orioles in Game 5 of the American League Division Series. Now they move on to the American League Championship match against Detroit. Just goes to show that you can endure bad times, you can screw up, you can suffer injuries and accidents and bad decisions and boneheaded plays, and still get back on track and win. 
unless you're the New York Mets. In political news, the vice presidential debate on Thursday night between Paul Ryan and Joe Biden has been perceived by most pundits as a draw. Biden came out swinging and smiling and smiling and smiling. Ryan held his ground but was not given the opportunity to coast that a too-passive Obama gave Romney the week before. Typically, the Republicans who cheered about Romney being pointed, aggressive, and disrespectful in his debate booed Biden for being pointed, aggressive, and disrespectful in his. Meanwhile, Democrats who had to make believe that Obama's lackluster, unconvincing performance in his debate was just his way of being thoughtful and courteous, now they had to make believe Biden's performance was powerfully presidential rather than just cringe-inducing smirkiness. Is it me, or do the vice presidential candidates really seem like they're on the wrong teams? I don't mean ideologically. Nobody's going to see Paul Ryan doling out carrots at a food bank. But visually, and in their personalities, Biden, the seasoned politician, looks like he was made to be frozen next to Ronald Reagan and Teddy Roosevelt. Ryan, beady-eyed, numbers-oriented, spark-pluggy, and Kennedy-esque with his shirt off, would make a really exciting Democrat. Wait, sorry, I misspoke. There's no such thing as a really exciting Democrat. Hey, speaking of the elections, did you get your sample ballots in the mail? If you bothered to scroll down past the first two names, you saw there were like bunches of other people running for president. Not like the old days where it was Gus Hall, a black woman and a fistful of libertarians, but a dozen other parties that got on the ballot. Running for the Peace and Freedom Party are, get this, Roseanne Barr and her vice presidential candidate, Cindy Sheehan. Sheehan, of course, is the woman whose son was killed in Iraq, and then she began camping out near the White House just to ask President Bush why. Unfortunately, Sheehan was also going to be a guest on this radio show years back. She never called in when she was supposed to, and then a week later quit her campaign. Not exactly presidential material in my book, but I do think it's cool of Roseanne to run for president on a campaign to legalize pot and same-sex marriage. What I'm worried about is not just that she might siphon votes away from the Democrats, but also about the laws governing political balance in the media. We know that if Obama gets three minutes of TV commercials an hour, Romney has to get his three minutes as well. Fair, fair is fair. But last night I was watching the old TV show Roseanne on WETV, and I was wondering, wait a minute, she's running for president. Don't they need to show a half-hour alternative? And if they do, does that mean that for every 30 minutes of Roseanne, we need to sit through a half-hour of Jeff Foxworthy or WWF Smackdown? Please, Roseanne, for the sake of the nation, please resign. This country just isn't big enough for two sitcoms, yours and Reba McIntyre's. And finally, in the news gone by, creepy news from the UK this morning. Beloved BBC television host Jimmy Savile, who hosted Top of the Pops and the family show Jim Will Fix It, has been accused posthumously of sexual abuse. More than a dozen women have come forward since his death last year to say that in his heyday, in the 1960s and 70s, Savile molested girls as young as 13. Calls are being made to strip Saville of his career awards pending the result of investigating all these allegations. What we do know 
is that Saville never married, started as a professional wrestler, lived most of his life with his mother, hmm, and he was known for such catchphrases as, how about that then, and goodness gracious, yes, they do take on a different feeling in retrospect, as does the title of his show, Jim Will Fix It, which was about granting the wishes of young children. I think the BBC knew something dodgy was going on, because in the last season, the show's title was changed to Jim Will Fix It, If Nancy Will Rub It and Chad Will Stroke It. And that's the news gone by for Saturday, October thirteenth, two 2012, Please send your comments, questions, and illegal wrestling moves to Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. That's Dave like my name. Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. If you prefer, you can snail mail your letters, gifts, and summonses to Dave Lefkowitz, care of Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 31, Greeley, Colorado, 80632. That's Box 31. Greeley, Colorado, 80632. And remember, if you mail me any broken furniture, Jim will fix it. Well, it is 12.44 in the afternoon here in Greeley, Colorado, on this rainy Saturday, perfect day to stay in and listen to the radio and listen to our next Saturday segue. We have a few minutes left in the show. And in honor of Rabbi Saul, excuse me, of Rabbi Saul Solomon and his discussion with Rabbi Samuel Entreter earlier in this broadcast and talking about the Middle East and plans for peace and stuff like that, I thought it'd be kind of cool to have a peace Saturday segue. Kind of neat. Certainly there are worse topics we can pick. So let us begin with a little bit of Bruce Coburn and a song called Peace March.
peace will, peace will come. And let it begin with me. We, we need, we need peace. And let it begin with me. Oh, my own life is all I can hope to control. Oh, let my life. Live for the good, good of my soul. Let it bring peace, sweet peace. Peace will come. Let it begin with me. Nice song there from Tom Paxton. Yes, another naive idealist, as are we all. Peace will come from Tom Paxton there. If you want to see the playlist for Dave's Gone By, just go to our MySpace page. Go to MySpace.com and then search for Dave's Gone By, and you'll find out that in that segue we played Bruce Coburn with Peace March, Ted Hawkins with Peace and Happiness, Sharon Van Etten doing her song Peace Signs, and Tom Paxton, Peace Will Come. We'll have another peace song for you as we end this episode of Dave's Gone By. I want to thank so much, some people who made the show possible today. I want to thank um, Rabbi Saul Solomon, of course, for being in the neighborhood and talking to Rabbi Samuel in Traitor. Check out the videos for the organization Real Peace Middle East. Also, uh, thank you to Adrian Mazon of Transmedia Group for helping set up that interview. Thank you so much to Sam Wood, who is the general manager of this station, and also to my beloved wife, Joyce Weil, um, you know, without whom I could barely do anything at all. I want to just give a quick shout-out to a couple of friends of the neighborhood, as we do every week. Um, first of all, Rafua Shlema to Bonnie Franklin, the actress who was in One Day of at a time, of course. She was on this show literally just a year ago, and uh, she's now being treated for pancreatic cancer. So we hope that she has a full recovery and gets back on the stage and back on TV in some form or another. Linda Edder is playing tonight at Town Hall with Robert Cuccioli, also a guest on this show. He was he was just here last week. And let's see, Frank Wildhorn and Jane Monheit are at Birdland on the 15th. Gary Lucas is playing at the Gershwin Hotel on the 16th. And let's see, um, everybody 
make sure to see Carrie Hoffman in My Sinatra at Sophia's and Perfect Crime at the Snapple Theater Center off Broadway. Everybody check out The Village Voice to read Alan Sherstool's column Studies in Crap and hear everything old is new again Sunday nights on WBAI.org. Of course, see Andrew Goffman in The Accidental Pervert off Broadway and subscribe to DrDemento.com. Just remains for me to wish you a, well, a drier weekend here in Greeley, Colorado. I want to thank you so much for being in the neighborhood. And as promised, here is another person who was a guest on Dave's Gone by closing us out with her classic number. Sometimes a little naivete doesn't hurt. This is Melanie. Peace will come. There's a chance peace will come in your life. Please buy and gone by. There's a chance peace will come in your life. Please buy one. Sometimes when I am feeling as big as the land with the velvet hill in the small of my back and my hands are playing the sand. Swimming in all of the waters All of the rivers are givers To the ocean according to plan According to man But sometimes when I am feeling so glad 